0: Hi, everyone. It's time. Let's do it. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shomler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode four hundred and ninety five. We got a double feature tonight. You you don't. I do. Uh, we're recording two podcasts back to back in the truck. Uh, we're doing Right now, obviously strong opinion sports, then immediately after recording uh, the 28th episode of Zach Shomler talking my other podcast. I got him doubled up. I got a really, had a great day yesterday and today writing. Uh, a lot to talk about today. Let me open up one thing on my phone. I want to make sure I have it ready. Um, uh, we have to have Patreon questions ready, but we also, I want to talk about Deshaun Watson later down the road, I think. I was advised not to, uh, but I'm going to ignore that advice and still talk about it anyway because I have something to say and... Uh, what happened with Deshaun? Well, I don't. I just I don't want to bombard people with Deshaun Watson content. I really don't like talking about it. Uh, but we got a hilarious meme, and then more importantly than that, uh, we got a really interesting and surprising story about Deshaun that came out. Um, but let's start before anything. The news this week, um, Deshaun Watson stuff happened like on Sunday. Then pretty briefly after that, we got word of another. Uh, punishment and, and sort of scandal in the NFL. The Miami Dolphins got in trouble, uh, a lot of trouble. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said that, "quote, investigators found tampering violations of unprecedented scope and severity." What did Miami do? What did the Dolphins do to, uh, you know, <laughs> tampering violations of unprecedented scope and severity? They contacted Tom Brady and. Sean Payton. Miami was apparently contacting Tom Brady as early as 2019, back when he was with the New England Patriots. Apparently, Miami tried to recruit Tom Brady to Miami. Uh, They also tried to recruit Saints head coach Sean Payton. He is now, uh, I guess, former Saints head coach Sean Payton. He retired, but in January of this year, 2022, without permission, Miami contacted Sean Payton's agent Don Yee about him being the next head coach in Miami. That was before he retired. Then when he did retire, after he retired, Miami did ask the New Orleans Saints formally for permission to talk to him uh, about hiring him, and they were denied permission. But apparently, permission's nonsense to them. They don't care. They do whatever they want, and uh, they got in a lot of trouble for it. Here was what happened. The Dolphins got found and caught tampering and trying to poach other teams, you know, players and coaches, And here is the severe penalty they've been given. Uh, The Dolphins have had their 2023 first round pick taken away, as well as a 2024 third round pick that has also been stripped away from them. And this is for, quote, violating the integrity of the game. This is a big deal. Losing a first round pick for next year. That's a big blow, especially when you hear why they got some of the stuff going on and some of their goals as a franchise. You're like, oh, man, they really wanted first round picks, apparently, and didn't work out for them. Uh, On top of that, on top of losing the first-round pick for next year, the third-round pick for 2024, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross has been fined $1.5 million and suspended through October 17, which is the first six weeks of the season. Uh, Look, losing your first-round pick really, really sucks. That's a big deal. Uh, But for the Dolphins owner, um, that's not a very harsh penalty. $1.5 million is nothing to him. He's a billionaire. He's a billionaire owner. He uh, blows his nose into $1.5 million and never thinks about it ever again. Uh, Now, here's the the big angle here. There's a lot more to talk about. We will in a second. But I want to first say this is that there's one person, surprisingly, who's a part of the Miami Dolphins who hears this news. Oh, we lost our first-round pick for next year. And he takes a deep breath and probably feels a sigh of relief and and a feeling of, oh, my goodness, this takes a lot of pressure off. Guess who wins when he finds out the Dolphins lost their first round pick for next year? Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Aloha. They're not going to have a first round pick next year. And so it's going to be even harder to replace him. I thought that this year was Tua's final shot, his final opportunity. And uh, now I think... He might have two years to prove himself. And I want to go to Patreon. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to read it early. Uh, We got to write in on Patreon about this, so I want to try to find it if I can and bring it up. I was going to do it later, but Daniel wrote in on Patreon. Daniel said, what does Tua have to do to, quote, prove himself? If you were the GM or coach, would a slightly above average statistical year and and one-and-done playoff appearance convince you to commit to him long-term? What does Tua have to do to keep his job in Miami? I think there's a lot of answers to this, lots of outcomes, and lots of ways he could do something good to keep his job. I think winning a lot of games, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's keep him around. Or if Tua has a great year, if the Dolphins are bad, but statistically he kills it, I think the only thing Tua can't do this year is be the reason why Miami is losing football games. Like that, That cannot happen. Ideally, he goes out there, he kills it, he puts up big numbers, and they win, but I think if they just win and he's okay, they're going to keep him around. If they lose, but he's still killing it, they're going to keep him. He just cannot, like I said, he cannot be the reason why the Dolphins are losing games this fall. If that's what's going to happen, they're going to pick a quarterback in the second round. They're not going to care. But I do believe that in a weird way, not having your first round pick next year takes the pressure off of Tua Tungavaloa just a little bit. Like, okay, hey, I got to do all right, but they're not going to have an early first round pick to replace me with next year. That's a good thing for Tua. There's a couple other things I want to talk about here. Uh, Number one, I want to point out that the NFL put this out after Deshaun Watson was given a six-game suspension. I'm a bit of a—I like conspiracy theories. I enjoy going, huh, is there more to this? And I I do wonder if maybe they waited—the NFL, I mean, waited to announce the penalties for Miami— hoping it was going to distract people away from the fact that Deshaun Watson only got suspended for 6 games and later down the road i think they're going to give Deshaun Watson a harsher penalty try to get good PR from that i think this was kind of a hey let's let's hold this for a second and wait till Deshaun's stuff comes out cuz it was like dominoes bang bang back to back and that did not feel like a coincidence to me now during their investigation the NFL found that Miami never intentionally lost games in 2019 The NFL said they didn't tank. That's their official uh, way of putting it. Uh, Remember, former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores accused Miami's ownership of encouraging him to tank. And here's a weird thing, though. The NFL investigators did find that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross reportedly shared his belief that the team should prioritize their draft position rather than their win-loss record. How does that play out? How do you prioritize your draft position instead of winning and losing? Tanking. So basically the NFL admitted that Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, wanted to tank. They just couldn't catch him hard enough, I guess, right? They probably didn't have anything in writing. I would even, like, let's be honest. Again, conspiracy theory Zach Schaumler believes the NFL would want to hide that. Even if they discovered the team was tanking, I'm not sure they would want to admit that publicly. I think, in fact, it behooves them. It, it, they benefit from pretending, ah, we don't know what you're talking about. They didn't tank. They weren't trying to lose games. I don't think they were because the head coach, Brian Flores, was trying to win. But the Dolphins owner definitely wanted to lose games. And I think that's another uncomfortable thing because I think that sentiment is kind of shared by a lot of teams that are really bad. If your team sucks at the end of the year with three games left to go when you're close to the first round pick, Your owner can't say this, but he doesn't want to win games. He wants to have the number one overall pick and get the best player available. That's what your goals shift to. And uh, while the coaches and the players are trying to win because their jobs are on the line and losing games makes them look bad and playing badly makes them look bad, like they are trying to put something good out for the rest of their career, the owner probably always wants the team to lose games at the end of the year if you're doing bad, because the worse you do, the better draft position you're in and the better player you get in the draft in the first round. So I think part of why they didn't come down so hard is that the the secret knowledge around the NFL is, yeah, a lot of owners probably share that ses- uh, sentiment. So we don't want to come down that hard on a guy for just thinking that. Now, um, they don't want to remove the appearance of the integrity of the game and having a team trying to openly lose games and admitting that is a bad look. So, I think that the NFL, like I said, swept it under the rug. Apparently, though, and they did say this, they admitted there was some kind of verbal statement that Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, made to his former head coach, Brian Flores. Brian Flores will tell you he was offered $100,000 to lose games. uh, But it's a he said, she said thing. Or maybe he said, he said. Uh, The NFL gave two interesting quotes about this. Uh, They said, quote, there are differing recollections about the wording, timing, and context of the supposed offer. Also a a quote is that, however phrased, such a comment was not intended or taken to be a serious offer, nor was the subject pursued in any respect by Mr. Ross or anyone else at the club. So someone said something. Brian Flores will tell you, and, and by the way, I don't think he benefits by admitting this. Brian Flores will tell you, I was offered $100,000 to lose games. The Dolphins owner vehemently denies that this happened and blah, 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 blah. Uh, Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, made some kind of comment to Brian Flores. He denies it. Like I said, Brian Flores will tell you, I was offered $100,000. I just feel bad for Brian Flores because that is a horrible work environment. Imagine you just lose... All of your trust with your boss, the guy who hired you, losing games is bad for your reputation as a coach. No matter, I wouldn't take a hundred thousand dollars to to ruin or tarnish my reputation at all. I now, I that's easy to say from the back of a truck, uh, but I, I, I just, it's all bad. And I, if I were Brian Flores, coaching at the end of the year, getting offered to lose games for hundred thousand dollars, I would begin to feel like a figurehead, like. What are we doing here? I'm trying to win, apparently, and you seem like you need a coach to lose games so that you can have a high draft pick. Then what happens? You fire me after we don't win enough? Like, it's a it's a horrible thing, and I just, like I said, Brian Flores is the victim here, in my opinion, and Brian Flores has also said, by the way, that he was offered millions of dollars by Stephen Ross after he was fired to keep quiet. Who do I believe in this situation? The billionaire owner was something to... Um, lose here, like a lot, or Brian Flores, who's an NFL head coach, and by admitting all this, risks ever getting a job in the NFL ever again. At the time he said all this stuff, I was in my head, quietly to myself going, my fear here is that Brian Flores is never going to coach again, because people don't like when you spew their dirty laundry everywhere. I just, I feel bad for Brian Flores, because you get offered your dream job as an NFL head coach. And then this crap happens and it, it would make my blood boil. It's so unfair. You're afraid to speak out. You're, you're probably thinking for Brian Flores. Is this going to cost me and make it so that no one will hire me in the NFL ever again? I, I, I would feel that way if I was him and I, I respect him for speaking out. It takes courage in my opinion and, and balls and I think integrity. Now, Brian Flores, there's a good end of the story for his, from his perspective. Brian Flores was hired by the Pittsburgh Steelers as the linebackers coach, and he's also a senior defensive assistant. That's the good part of the story. Uh, Brian Flores is too good of a coach to be sitting at home watching football. Like that, that's terrible. He's too good. I'm, I'm glad he's coaching somewhere, and good on Mike Tomlin, the head coach in Pittsburgh, and good on the Steelers for hiring him, giving him an opportunity to coach. And, you know, Mike Tomlin had his back. Remember, they hired him in February after Brian Flores announced he was suing the NFL for racial discrimination. So I just I'm I'm. that's a cool end of the story. Now, after the NFL penalized the Miami Dolphins, here is a statement from their owner, Stephen Ross. Here is what Stephen Ross said. The independent investigation cleared our organization on any issues related to tanking and all of Brian Flores other allegations. As I have said all along, these allegations were false, malicious, and defamatory. And this issue is now put to rest. With regards to tampering, I strongly disagree with the conclusions and the punishment. However, I will accept the outcome because the most important thing is that there be no distractions for our team as we begin an exciting and winning season. I will, now, I will not allow anything to get in the way of that. So he strongly disagrees with the conclusions of tampering. He doesn't think he tampered, apparently. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. Again, he's a billionaire owner. doesn't shock me there. Um, It's hard not to imagine the smugness behind his voice when you read that, especially when you deliver it the way your boys acted. Smug as heck, as smug as I can be, I guess. I I don't mean to do that. But like I said, Stephen Ross is a billionaire real estate developer. You know, the the Michigan School of Business is called the Stephen M. Ross School of Business at Michigan. So, uh, I find it, here's a, I want to say a lot of words. I try to have a a family-friendly show. I I cuss a lot on my other podcast, Zach Schalmer Talking. This one, we keep it clean. So, let me put it as nicely as I can think to say it. I, I find Mr. Stephen Ross very Unlikable is maybe the nicest way I can put that. He is a, uh, you ever hear a blank canoe? He's a blank canoe. I don't like him at all. Um, Now, Brian Flores, the Dolphins' former head coach, also put out a statement. Here's what Brian Flores said. He said, I am thankful that the NFL's investigator found my factual allegations against Stephen Ross are true. At the same time, I am disappointed to learn that investigator minimized Mr. Ross's offer and pressure pressure to tank games, especially when I wrote and submitted a letter at the time to Dolphins executives documenting my serious concerns regarding the subject at the time, which the investigator has in her possession. While the investigator found that the Dolphins had engaged in impermissible tampering of, quote, unprecedented scope and severity, Mr. Ross will avoid any meaningful consequence. There is nothing more important when it comes to the game of football itself than the integrity of the game. When the integrity of the game is called into question, fans suffer and football suffers. So he said, yo, you all but said he did give me, he did give me a vert. Like he, he's basically like, you guys admit he wanted a tank, but why aren't we doing anything about it? And and he he put it in writing apparently too, which I, I love that. I love the thought that Brian Flores has offered this amount of money. And the first thing he does is send an email probably to put it in writing and be like, yo, here's what happened. I need help. and And let me give you advice by the way out there. If you're ever in a bad situation, Put stuff in writing, make it, make a paper trail, because that that will help you in court and whatever. Whenever you need to prove that this happened, make a paper trail. Brian Flores, as soon as he could, made a paper trail. Wouldn't shock me, by the way, if he called Bill Belichick and asked him for help, his former head coach in New England. I just, in my opinion, Brian Flores is the overwhelming victim here, and he's right, by the way. Stephen Ross will avoid any. Meaningful consequences. He's a billionaire. $1.5 million and a six-game suspension is a slap on the wrist and it's shameful and it's frustrating. Uh, Now, here's a really interesting wrinkle, though, that I I absolutely love in this story. Stephen Ross, Dolphins' owner, I've said it many times, you probably know his name too much by now. Stephen Ross is suspended through October 17th, the first six weeks of the year. The first game back for Steven Ross is week seven is on October 23rd. And guess what? It's so juicy. I love it so much. The game will be Miami hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday night football. So Steven Ross's first game back is going to have Brian Flores on the sidelines in Miami coaching for the other team. Oh, hallelujah. I love that. That's wonderful. Can't wait for that. Now, all this stuff, right, I, I have come to detest. I really do not like the Miami Dolphins owner, Mr. Steven Ross, the pompous, arrogant, uh, smug, son of a gun. I really don't like him. And it puts me in a weird spot because sports are weird. I love Miami's quarterback to a tongue of a low. He's one of my favorite players in the entire NFL. I lived in Hawaii. I feel a connection that way. I love his family. I love who he is. I love his energy. I I love Tua, and I root for Tua. And Mike McDaniel, their head coach, might be my favorite coach in the NFL. I love his personality. I love—he's got a Mike Leach quality to him where he avoids actually answering questions by being interesting and fun. I think he'd actually probably be a great actor. Um, I find myself rooting for Miami heavily. I love the guy. He's—you know, Mike McDaniel is a smart offensive coach. He's fun. He's entertaining. I want Tua to succeed. It's like a little engine that could. I just want him to do well. And so I'm rooting for them. I am. And I'm not going to let my hatred for their owner stop me from enjoying watching the Miami Dolphins because Steven Ross is not going anywhere. I, I just refuse to let him taint my heart and and stop me from enjoying people that I like doing their job. Tua and Mike McDaniel and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And all the heroes I have on that team that I root for. I want Tua to do well. Mike McDaniel is my favorite personality in coaching. And I want to see him win. And so uh, I think if you're a Dolphins fan. I'm not a Dolphins fan. I'm a fan of people. I, I root for people in sports, not teams. But if you're a Dolphins fan struggling with all this. Like, I hate the owner. This is embarrassing. This is shameful. It's okay. No matter. Your hatred isn't going to get Steven Ross out of there. Steven Ross seems like a a piece of work. But it's okay to root for your favorite team, and I give you permission. If, if you're struggling with that at all, I'm going to root for Miami. I, I really I like the people there except the owner, and so uh, I think that's an okay way to feel, which is that, hey, I, I can't change the ownership situation at all. All I can do is root for the people I like, and uh, I, I really do hope that they win in Miami because I want to see Tua do well, and I want to see Mike McDaniel succeed, and uh, that's how I feel. All right. Uh, we had the Hall of Fame game on Thursday. I watched about half of the Hall of Fame game, the extra preseason game. The Raiders beat the Jaguars twenty-seven to eleven. It was mostly backups playing. I lost interest very quickly. Um, but I, you know, I, I like watching players I'm familiar with, and I didn't know any of these names. I knew Jared Stidham and the quarterbacks Jake Luton, but like I don't, I don't care. They're not going to be starters. Like I'm not that invested. Uh, Jaguars rookie defensive end and first. Overall pick Trevon Walker had a sack that was pretty cool, um, and Jared Stidham is a good backup for the Raiders. I mean, he knows the system. He came over with Mike McDaniel's from New England, so that's cool. But really, the the only two bits of information I found valuable and interesting watching the Hall of Fame game are, are these two things. Number one, Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels. Uh, you know, remember the Hall of Fame game is is in Canton, Ohio, at Tom Benson Stadium, I believe is what it's called. And Canton McKinley High School is is right there, right next to the stadium. And that is where Josh McDaniels went to high school. He played quarterback for them in high school. And he played his home games at Tom Benson Stadium, where the Hall of Fame game takes place every year. It's kind of a cool full circle moment. Imagine imagine this. You are an NFL head coach uh, with a new team. And your first game with your new team is on your high school football field. That's pretty insane and pretty unbelievable. He had a lot of family there. That's that's a cool, heartwarming story that I like. Number two, the other piece of information I I learned during the Hall of Fame game uh, was that part of the thought process behind Devontae Adams, the Raiders' new receiver, leaving Green Bay and going to Vegas was that, you know, apparently he was actually offered more money or the same amount of money by the Packers to stay in Green Bay. Green Bay wanted him. He wanted out. And part of the reason for that, part of that decision-making process, was the uncertainty about Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback. Will he retire? Will he not? It wasn't clear whether Aaron's at the end of his career or not. And Devontae Adams feels like he's in his prime and wants to keep having great years. And so he's like, look, for my quality of life, I want to make sure I've got a good quarterback, Derek Carr. And I think Derek Carr is going to help Devontae Adams pursue a Hall of Fame career. Kind of funny, at the Hall of Fame game, my thought was, you know, I got asked last episode, are there any receivers in the NFL that you think have a shot at becoming Hall of Famers? Devontae Adams is the first one I think of, and he's got a lot of good years ahead of him with a great quarterback, Derek Carr. And clearly, I think that's on his mind. He's like, for quality of life, I want to have a good quarterback. I'm a receiver. I depend on my quarterback. I'm sorry. I'm not rolling the dice finding out whether Jordan Love's any good, I'm going somewhere where, hey, I'm going to be guaranteed to have a quarterback for a couple of years as my career goes on. And I really admire that. I think that's cool. He 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 chose quality of life, which I talk about a lot. Hey, man, money isn't everything. Money is a lot. But at some point you realize, hey, I have enough money. What's What else matters to me? And if you're a receiver, having a good quarterback really matters. And I'm, I'm kind of cool to, I find it cool to hear that Devontae Adams chose to go to Vegas partially because he knew he was going to have a good quarterback for the next couple of years. And he wanted that, that that makes me really appreciate and admire that decision-making process even more. All right. I told you we were going to talk about it. Um, let's talk about Deshaun Watson briefly. Deshaun Watson was offered a deal by the NFL. They, the deal reported by, uh, Sports Illustrated was apparently the NFL's final settlement offer to Deshaun Watson was that he would be suspended for 12 games and would also be fined 8 to $10 million. And uh, they shot down, Deshaun Watson's camp shot down that offer because they did not want Deshaun suspended for more than six to eight games. And he wasn't willing to accept a heavy fine. In my opinion, that's a great, if you're Deshaun Watson, You're suspended 12 games and fined $12 million. You got out pretty good. The fact that he didn't have the self-awareness to accept that deal is crazy to me. Um, And when, here's the thing. If billionaires who've got a lot of power over you tell you to do something, you got to play ball. He didn't. He refused to take that offer. He got given a six-game suspension, but the NFL is appealing. And we're going to soon hear what the NFL decides about his, his ultimate penalty. I would not be shocked if the NFL punishes Deshaun Watson, not only for what he did, but for not falling in line, for not listening to their offer. Because here's the thing. What does the NFL care about? Do they care about the women I don't really think so. I, 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 just, I, don't, I don't believe the NFL really cares about the women that are accusing Deshaun Watson. What they care about is PR and money. And it's bad PR for Deshaun Watson to lose a tiny amount of money and, and only six games. He's got to take a hefty penalty because that's better for the public image and perception of how it's viewed. So you got to suspend Deshaun Watson for 12 games and, and uh, find him a lot of money. And because they already offered him that and he refused, he fought it. He wouldn't play ball. I would not be surprised at all if the NFL actually comes down even harder on Deshaun Watson, suspends him like an entire year and finds him now like $20 million, even harsher. Because again, they tried to play ball with Deshaun Watson. They gave him an offer they thought was fair. And and I think thinking about it, 12 games, $12 million. Hey, that's not that bad. You take that. You get to play football again. You get to play this this year. I would not be surprised at all if the NFL suspended Deshaun Watson for an entire year and came down even harder on the penalty because, again, what does the NFL care about? They care about optics. They care about people on Twitter. They care about how it appears to their audience, which are a lot of men and a lot of women who care about women. You got you to punish Deshaun Watson for a, a longer suspension and fine him a hefty amount of money. And I find it insanity that Deshaun Watson didn't realize that and just accept a 12 game suspension and an eight to 10 million dollar fine. That, you know, the, the arrogance and the lack of awareness to me to not play ball when billionaires tell you what to do is crazy, especially a billionaire could tell me something and I'd be probably scared and probably do it, but they don't have as much power over me. They're not employing me. Uh, Deshaun Watson is directly employed by billionaire owners. And when they tell you what to do, you do it. So I'm telling you now, I'm expecting Deshaun Watson to get a hefty fine and a longer suspension, um, because that's what is optically good for the NFL to do. So that's my, my two cents on Deshaun Watson so far and what's gone on recently. All right, here's a fun story. Uh, it's fun and interesting The Steelers have given receiver Deontay Johnson a contract extension. He's been holding in at training camp, meaning that uh, he's been around, but he's not been practicing and putting his body on the line without a new contract. Now, his new deal is a two-year extension worth $36.71 million with a $27 million uh, guarantee. So he's going to make $27 million, gets a two-year extension. I love to see it. I love seeing a talented young receiver get paid. And he was the last young guy that I was kind of waiting around for to get paid. It was Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, and Deontay Johnson. He got paid. I like it. I think it's a decent amount of money. I think it's fair. Um, He's 26 years old. He turned 26 in July, so he's a new young 26. He's going to be a free agent in 2025. I don't have too much to say here. I think it's the right amount. He got paid less than DK Metcalf and less than Debo Samuel, but he's also accomplished less than them. And I think he can prove his worth. He can prove whether he's worth more between now and 2025. And I think both sides win here. Uh, the Steelers didn't have to break the bank. They didn't have to make a crazy long-term commitment and over, um, you know, overextend themselves. Deontay Johnson gets a raise. Uh, and it's short term. So in three years, he and the team can both renegotiate. And it's kind of I think Everybody wins. So I think it's actually a great contract that I like. Well done, Steelers. Now... I want to say this real quick. I, I I keep hearing and people commenting to me and telling me the Pittsburgh Steelers are terrible and they probably are the worst team in their division. But that's saying a lot because the Browns have a lot of talent and the Ravens have a lot of talent and the you know the Bengals just went to the Super Bowl. But I also don't know that's entirely accurate. Are the Steelers really the worst team in that division? The Ravens have a lot to prove. They they don't have a number one receiver in my opinion. They, I'm skeptical about the Ravens and. The Browns aren't going to have their quarterback for most of, if not a lot of the year, if not all of the year. Do we really think the Steelers are so bad they're going to finish behind Cleveland and behind the Ravens if both of them have some adversity and struggle a little bit? It's just weird to me that people are completely writing off the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, they've got questions at quarterback. I don't know if Trubisky's any good. I don't know if Kenny Pickett's going to play or how soon he's going to play. But I think it's possible that the Steelers— are a playoff team, maybe the seventh seed, uh, and probably not a playoff team, but but they could be. That's not insane to think about. And definitely, if your team is playing Pittsburgh, that's a tough win. Like, I'm sorry, they got a lot of talent around the field. They got a great defense. They got TJ Watt's going to beat the crap out of your quarterback. I just, it's weird to me how we write off the Steelers as if they're just horrible. I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't believe that actually. They're not the best team in the NFL, but. Um, they certainly have some talent and some some coaches that I like, and I, I think Brian Flores, that's going to be a really interesting thing to measure how much of an impact does he have. I'm just not buying that the Steelers are terrible. I just don't I, I don't believe that. I guess time will tell, but I, I'm right now telling you I think the Steelers are they're fine, and they're going to compete, and they're going to be a team that is going to be hard to beat. I, I think a, a team similar to that was the Detroit Lions last year. The Detroit Lions... Gosh, they didn't win a lot of games, but they were close. They were hanging around. They were challenging people, and I think, if nothing else, Pittsburgh's going to challenge every team they play this year, and I just uh, think that's worth something. By the way, as Deontay Johnson gets paid, I want to tell you, I think receiver is becoming the second most valuable position in football. It goes quarterback, then receiver, and football is slowly becoming more and more like seven-on-seven. As the rules change, Uh, part, part of that is actually college practice rules because it's harder for linemen to get more reps and get more prepared. So linemen are not as good as they used to be. Receiver rules are changing towards helping receivers. And, uh, man, I, I just, I really think receivers becoming, and you're seeing it on paper, the amount of money receivers are getting paid, the amount of receivers getting drafted in the first round. I mean, what, what Cincinnati did this past year, um, getting to a Super Bowl with a team that no one believed could because they had three great receivers. Receivers more valuable than ever. And I hope you know that. So when you see receivers like Deontay Johnson getting paid, it shouldn't surprise you at all. Because again, that position, the value is skyrocketed. The NFL, uh, sorry, the running back position, all-time low. Receiver, all-time high. And I I think that's right. Okay, um, here's a sad one. Denver Broncos receiver Tim Patrick has torn his ACL. This is the third year in a row uh, that one of the receivers in Denver tore his ACL. Remember 2020, Cortland Sutton tore his ACL. Last year in 2021, it was K.J. Hamler tore his ACL. Now, Tim Patrick has torn his ACL. He's out for the year. And I feel so bad for Tim Patrick, man. His season is over. And it's an early blow to this Denver Broncos team that added Russell Wilson at quarterback this year and... They're hoping to make a deep playoff run and I just, it's like, man, that's really, really painful for them. So Tim Patrick's out. Now, with that in mind, I want to remind people that, I want to remind you that Odell Beckham Jr. is still out there. He's still available. He's still a free agent. He tore his ACL in the Super Bowl. He, you know, it's unclear where he is health-wise after the ACL. He he appears to still be recovering, but I'm shocked he's not been signed yet. I think he's probably waiting because he wants more money than he's being offered. But there's a, a couple teams that really should pursue Odell Beckham Jr. OBJ should go and be pursued by the Ravens, who don't have a number one receiver. The Cowboys, the Broncos, who lost Tim Patrick. The Arizona Cardinals, who don't have DeAndre Hopkins for the first six weeks. Now, if I was Odell, by the way, there's one team I would really like to go to. It's Miami. The more receiver talent you're surrounded by, the easier your job is. In Miami, they've got a really good system with, with Mike McCandle that I, I respect and admire. They've already got Tyree Killett receiver and Jalen Waddell. It's not basketball, but in basketball, when you play with two other great players, the third best defender is guarding you. I think about the LA Clippers. You have uh, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and John Wall. The two best defenders are guarding Paul George, and John, John, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. What that means is the third best defender in any basketball team playing the Clippers, the third best defender is going to be guarding John Wall, and that's a mismatch. Football's different. There's different schemes. But still, I like the thought of your number three corner matched up one-on-one against Odell Beckham Jr. I think OBJ wins that matchup a lot. Plus, Miami's an awesome town. Uh, when he was in New York, he went there on vacation anyway during the bye week. Remember the banana boat, all that stuff, the, the stuff he got in trouble for. He clearly likes Miami. There's no state income tax. And it's a team where you got a lot of help around you, making your job easier. You're more you're open more often, I would think. And so I, I think I keep your I I'm I'm really, really curious to see where Odell Beckham Jr. is gonna go. And I man, I can't wait to find out. All right, um, Legendary broadcaster Vin Scully has died. He died on August 2nd at the age of 94. He was the voice of the Dodgers, but he was also so much more than, he did so many other things other than being the voice of the Dodgers. For example, in the 80s, when he was with CBS, he called, quote, the catch Joe Montana's legendary throw to Dwight Clark for a touchdown in the NFC title game to get into the Super Bowl. And I just, I don't have much to say about Vin Scully. He was a little bit before my time, but I respect the guy. I admire him. I loved listening to him doing Dodgers games. And, uh, Vin Scully was an all-time great. Rest in peace. Um, and, uh, he made the sports world better. And I'm, I'm sad to see him pass. All right. It's time for sports screenshots. It's a segment where, look, I see interesting stuff on Instagram, interesting, fun, whatever stuff. I share it here. Screenshot number one today. If I can open my album on my phone. Screenshot number one is about Texas football. There's a Twitter account, Texas football with three L's, an extra L. It's a fake Twitter account for Texas football. I find them hilarious to me. You know, they, they tweet stuff like, we'd like to wish our daddy a wonderful Father's Day. Happy Father's Day at Oklahoma football. And it looks exactly like the Texas football account. It's, that's hilarious to me. Or they tweet stuff like, we're the only Power 5 program to lose to Kansas twice in a five-year period. Hashtag built different, hashtag this is Texas, hashtag Texas fight. Or they do stuff like, you know, we're 70 and 55 in the last 10 years, zero conference championships in the last decade, two losses to the Kansas Jayhawks. Welcome to Texas, Arch Manning. And when you, it's really funny about this Twitter account, at Texas football with three L's at the end, LLL. People reply to this stuff like, not realizing it's a joke, being like, are you really bragging that you, they don't even, they're like, You've only won fifty-five percent of your games. Like people really don't understand. It's a joke, and I I find it hilarious. I love it. It's outstanding. Screenshot number two. Quan Alexander is signed with the New York Jets. He's a linebacker. Not a lot to say here. Just kind of a prompt to throw this out there. I'm hopeful, man. He's got a lot of talent. Um, injuries have derailed his career. He's reuniting with Robert Sala, who he played for in San Francisco, and I'm just. I, I, this Jets team is going to be a... There's two teams that I think are better than people realize. I'm not sure they're playoff teams. I'm not really sure what's going to happen to them. The Detroit Lions are going to make some noise this year. Are they going to win? I hope so, but they're definitely going to challenge everybody they play. And the New York Jets are a team that's much improved and way better. And this makes them even better, adding Quan Alexander. It just It's surprising and interesting to me. Screenshot number three is another... Yet another Tom Brady or, or, or Tampa Bay, you know, insane stat. 12 riders is opposed to CBS sports. 12 wide receivers have 4,000 receiving yards since 2018. 25% of them are on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mike Evans has, uh, over 4,000 yards. Julio Jones has over 4,000 yards. And Chris Godwin is over 4,000 yards since 2018. Um, I don't know, man. I'm really, really interested to see how is Julio Jones going to do with Tampa Bay. If you told me a couple years ago Tom Brady was going to be throwing to Julio Jones, I would have fell out of my seat. So I just, I hope it goes well. I'm very interested. Uh, screenshot number four. Uh, this is posted by The Checkdown. Love to see this. Uh, former quarterback, uh, went to West Virginia. I believe he played with Pat McAfee, actually. Uh, former quarterback, Pat White, got a job. Uh, in football and is able to stay around the game. I think of, uh, I, I love I love hearing that. So, by the way, he was, uh, the LA Chargers have hired Pat White to be an offensive assistant, similar to JT Barrett going to the Detroit Lions. Uh, I love, 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 love when you hear about a guy whose, their playing days are over and they they found a way to stick around the game and start a coaching career. And I don't know, wouldn't be shocked if Pat White someday was an offensive coordinator in the NFL. And by the way, this makes me think of my friend Riley Hennessy. Riley Hennessey is a, a guy I've I've talked to this guy for hours. I love him so much. We played against each other in high school. Uh, he played D one quarterback at Eastern Washington and then Central Washington. Uh, it's Division two, but he, he's he's awesome. He's had this really interesting, fun career in in college, and um, I think he like I always talk about quality of life and and putting your needs ahead of uh, status and and what things look and appear like. And he definitely did that. He now plays quarterback overseas in Europe, and he is absolutely dominating. I love it. He, he won some championship recently, and it makes me really happy to see him doing well. But here's the thing I want to talk about. Riley Hennessy, this guy I know, plays football in Europe, plays quarterback. He's a stud. He's killing it. If he wants to coach when he's done playing, he's got so many valuable experiences he can use to leverage that into a coaching career. And I think that's something people don't realize when you're coaching, when you're playing career is happening you you may not reach your goals as a player pat white probably wanted to be an NFL quarterback JT Barrett uh one of the Detroit Lions offensive assistants he played quarterback at Ohio State he probably wanted to be an NFL franchise quarterback it didn't work out but it didn't stop him from still having a career in football and that is something I love to see I love seeing a guy stick around the game and hang around the game and keep it going and I just find that very cool and inspiring Screenshot number five is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, this was posted by ESPN NFL. SE Facts, Sports Center Facts. Ooh. Uh, Calvin Johnson went through all of high school, college, played nine years in the NFL, and made the Hall of Fame all while Tom Brady was still in the NFL. It's another Tom Brady stat. Calvin Johnson, one more time. Well, to- all while Tom Brady was in the NFL, Calvin Johnson went to high school, all of high school, college. Played nine years in the NFL and then made the Hall of Fame during the entire time Tom Brady was playing in the NFL. That's how long Tom Brady's been playing. That's insane to me. All right. Um, screenshot number six. <laughs> it's not funny. Exactly. It's not exactly funny. It's about Deshaun Watson. Um, apparently... This is posted by all sports culture. Shout out to them for finding this and making this graphic. Um, Apparently this year's national massage therapist convention is held in Cleveland, Ohio, where the Cleveland Browns quarterback who got accused of sexually assaulting a bunch of massage therapists plays football now. Do we live in a simulation? Like you can't make this stuff up. And the American massage therapy association really is having their national convention convention. In Cleveland, Ohio, uh, from August 25th until August 27th. That is unbelievable. Somebody keep your eyes on Deshaun Watson. Make sure he does not appear there. That's a... Someone keep track of the guy. That's insane. I can't... I saw it on Instagram. And I'm like, that's a joke. And I looked that up. And I was like, that's not a joke. That's real. <laughs> like, not exactly funny. But certainly... Really? Like, kind of that... Just... Really? All right. That, I, I, one more time. Do we live in a simulation? Because that's how it feels to me. Uh, I believe we have one more screenshot, a surprise screenshot. Not in my notes, but still funny. Uh, shout out to Brett Coleman. Brett Coleman, buddy of mine, uh, he made a Discord for his Patreon exclusive— exclusively for his Patreon members today. Uh, he blew up, got a bunch of people to to go to his, uh, you know, Patreon-exclusive Discord, like, really fast. And one of the gems we found was— <laughs> Someone saying this needs to be a patron emote, lol, and it's absolutely an emote. I'll add that. And then it already is an emote. And it's a it's a picture of Brett Coleman making the most hilarious face. And I, I just wanna I wanna put it on screen. It's funny. I, I made me laugh in my day better. I texted him with this picture. I'm like, dude, this is hilarious. And I'm gonna I wanna find out how to use this in my editing more. This this picture of Brett Coleman just going like ah. I think it's funny. And anytime you I have bad news, we're gonna put this on screen. Hey, can you believe this happened? And just Brett Coleman's face going. Ah, i love it i love it so much and i want to use it and i anything i can do to uplift brett coleman i find hilarious and fun and let's definitely do that okay before we get into listener questions today i want to double check that nothing has changed in the last couple hours i you know i went to went to a job interview i read a little bit so i don't know if there's any breaking news that i haven't seen yet let's double check that um any breaking news in the nfl so far no uh, so far, no Tyler Lindebaum, uh, the center for the Ravens expected to miss one to two weeks with a foot injury, but no, nothing new has happened. Thank goodness. Somehow. Uh, we're pretty good. No Deshaun Watson suspension stuff. None of that. Um, so we can move forward. Now I encourage you, uh, we're going to now do ask Zach. It's my favorite part of the show which is where I read questions from the audience on Patreon. If you want to write into the podcast, you go to patreon.com. Forward slash Zach Shamler. It's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to, please do. Uh, it keeps me alive. I had I, I got a second job today, literally, because my, my like I, If you want to support me, I don't I don't I don't like asking for help, but if you want to support me, I could use the support on Patreon. Uh on Patreon, if you write in. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I'll look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the podcast. Um by the way, on top of getting to write into Strong Opinion Sports on Patreon, you also get to write—that same dollar, I stretch it as wide as I possibly can, you also get to write into my other podcast, Zach Shomler Talking, and you get my other podcast, Zach Shomler Talking, early on Patreon. So for a dollar a month, you get a lot of stuff. I try to give you as much value as I possibly can. And uh, we start today with John. John wrote in on Patreon. John— Oh, wrong notes. John says this. Hey, Zach, I'm from Maine. I would love to show you around our area sometime. It's beautiful here. I believe you. I'd love to. My dad's been there. He was there last summer, and I would love to go to Maine. Uh, My hottest take this year is that I think the Lions are a dark horse playoff team. They have the most underrated receiving room. DJ Chark, Jamison Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Josh Reynolds. They're all super capable of elevating the offense along with DeAndre Swift. The defense is on the come up, and I see the only thing holding them back is Jared Goff, their quarterback. What are your thoughts? Dude, I'm with you, John. I'm excited about the Lions this year. I absolutely love their head coach, Dan Campbell. He's a guy I would fight for. I just really, really like him. Uh, they've got a lot of young talent in Detroit, actually. A lot, of, they've, had a lot of they've got a lot of first-round picks. they got a lot of young guys, and I'm like, that, that guy's pretty good. That guy's pretty good. Like, let's see what can happen here. Getting DJ Chark was a really underrated move, in my opinion. And I want to see the Detroit Lions make noise. Does that mean a playoff appearance? Does that mean winning? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. But I know this right now. If I had a favorite team in the NFL, I would not want my favorite team to play the Detroit Lions. Because they are a team poised to do a lot of damage and fight really hard. And um, I also find myself really rooting for Jared Goff. He unceremoniously lost his job in L.A., They replaced him with Matthew Stafford. They won a Super Bowl without him. And I don't know. I just find myself rooting for Jared Goff. I want to see him do well as a quarterback in the NFL, and I hope he can do that. All right. Uh, Josh writes in and says, it feels like every year there's a late-round quarterback who ends up starting and causing some buzz around about his play. Gardner Minshew, Davis Mills. Who do you think has the most potential to do that this year? Probably the most potential? Probably, um... Oh man. Oh, there's a couple there's a couple guys. I don't think I can choose one. Um I think Sam Howell has a good shot with the Commanders actually I believe fifth round pick to Washington. Yeah, but maybe not because they got Taylor Hennecke So if Carson Wentz gets hurt or plays badly, they're probably putting in Taylor Henicky not Sam Howell. So probably not Sam Howell actually. I would I would want to say Matt Corral. but the problem is in Carolina they've got Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Matt Corral. So unless Matt Corral somehow beats out both of them, he's probably not going to play. Um, I want to say Malik Willis in Tennessee, but I think he's going to be a while before Malik Willis is ready to play. I think he's really talented, but Ryan Tannehill is going to be their starter probably all this the year this year. The same way that Jimmy Garoppolo was the starting quarterback all year last year in San Francisco. I think Malik Willis is going to sit and learn and develop a lot this year, maybe play next year, not this year. So maybe my answer is Desmond Ritter. In Atlanta, Desmond Ritter is a quarterback sitting behind Marcus Mariota. And, man, I'll tell you, he's got a lot of stuff I like on his film. And accurate, good footwork, works really hard. He has the work ethic of a professional quarterback, already has already has that. If Marcus Mariota gets hurt or plays badly, Desmond Ritter is the guy who could be a Gardner Minshew, could be a Davis Mills, come off the bench Make a lot of noise and look really good and make people go, whoa, Atlanta's got a quarterback. So that's my answer, Josh. Desmond Ritter in Atlanta is the guy most likely to make noise as a rookie quarterback. Uh, That's a guess, obviously, but I think he's got the best opportunity to eventually get on the field and maybe impress a lot of people. Okay, Ryan writes in with a very kind write-in about my, the bane of my existence maybe. Almost said my favorite baseball team. Uh, the Seattle Mariners. Ryan says, Hi, Zach. I actually just want to give you some reassurance today. The MLB trade deadline is over and the Mariners actually made a pretty a pretty big move to get better in picking up Luis Castillo. They also added some depth pieces, but I just believe that this isn't the same Mariners nonsense that hurt you in the past and wasted talents like Ichiro, Kyle Seeger, Felix Hernandez, Adrian Beltre, Raul Apanez. Adam Jones, in Betancourt, even he went to the Milwaukee Brewers and got better. You, you, you left out a lot of talented players that have been wasted and, and squandered, in my opinion. Remember the Mariners had Alex Rodriguez? And Randy Johnson. And Ken Griffey Jr. Pain. It's just pain. Anyway, he continues and says, the Mariners seem to be making a legitimate effort to win the World Series. I know there's a lot of negative emotions and resentment you have towards a franchise that has earned that resentment three times over. What? I don't hate the Mariners. I don't... Resentment? Where are you sensing resentment about this baseball team that I, I hate and detest? Anyway. Um, but I think you can let the Mariners back into your heart, at least for this year, and maybe think back to a time spent with your grandfather. After all, that's what being a fan is about, emotional connection. If I'm wrong... I'll eat a picture of Randy Johnson. Dude, I would kill to watch you eat a picture of Randy Johnson. That sounds funny. Can we do it anyway? Um, You're right. The Mariners are turning a corner, I hope. I hope. I'm not going to hold out hope, but I certainly love Julio Rodriguez. I certainly like that they're trying to win, it looks like. Better than the past. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. But, yeah, I'm not going to get my hopes up. Joshua writes in and says, Hey, Zach. Who is the breakout receiver for this upcoming year? As in, who is this year's Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase? So by saying Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, do you mean rookie receiver? Because there's two guys who are not rookies. DJ Chark in Detroit could have a breakout year. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster in Kansas City could also explode this year. So I'm playing with Big Ben. Going from Big Ben to Patrick Mahomes is a big upgrade and having Andy redesign plays for you, I don't know. I think Juju Smith-Schuster could have an incredible year in Kansas City. As far as rookie receivers, uh, we'll stay in Kansas City. Actually, no, I want to go to Detroit first. I think either Detroit or Kansas City is going to have a breakout receiver this year, whether it's DJ Chark or Juju Smith-Schuster or another. Now, rookie receiver in Detroit, Jamison Williams could be a stud. He's going to have Jared Goff giving him a lot of good looks, and then Sky Moore in Kansas City is a stud rookie Receiver, running back, hybrid. They're putting them all over the field at training camp. And uh, a lot of speed. I, I just, man, I, I think the breakout receiver this year is going to either be in Kansas City or Detroit. And uh, there's a lot of options between, you know, the four guys, DJ Chark, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jamison Williams, or Sky Moore. All of them could have a great year. And uh, I'm, I'm really, I mean, Marquez Valdez-Scantling might have a good year in, uh, in Kansas City too. So keep your eye on those two teams, KC and Detroit, They are the most likely teams to have a breakout receiver, in my opinion. Uh, We already answered Daniel's question earlier uh, during the Dolphins um, segment. Davis wrote in. Davis said, hey, Zach, I've been watching training camp videos. I know they like to show us only the good stuff, but I always like to find the fan filmed or reporter filmed stuff. Are there any interesting camps that you're watching this year? I am focusing on the Pittsburgh Steelers and their quarterbacks battle specifically, as well as Seattle, just to watch their bad quarterback battle. Uh, yeah, there, there are a couple of things that have been drawing my attention. The The Jets uh, with Zach Wilson. Apparently, Jill Flacco has been doing very well in New York with the Jets, and that led to a lot of funny memes about Jill Flacco's wife, <laughs> who is 37, and uh, Zach Wilson has an affinity for older women. Uh, but even more funny, that, that's funny, but uh, I really, you know— I keep hearing a lot of mixed reports. Joe Flacco's out playing Zach Wilson, and then suddenly Zach Wilson's having his best day at camp. So I don't know. I, I'm really interested to watch Zach Wilson this year in New York. Um, Jordan Love apparently has been really good in Packers camp. They're saying he's you know, the best he's looked in three years in the NFL. That's pretty cool. Um, now, Carolina really, really interests me. Carolina is the team. You asked, is there a specific training camp I've been keeping my eye on the most? I cannot get enough of the Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold quarterback competition and throw in Matt Corral there too. If there's one team to watch in the preseason, maybe a I mean, look, Pittsburgh's going to be really interesting with Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. I mean, they, they are genuinely fighting for their jobs to see who's going to be a starter. But even more than that, the best quarterback battle right now in the NFL, Sam Darnold against Baker Mayfield, And they're going to be playing meaningful snaps in the preseason. And they're going to matter. And if you want somebody to watch in the preseason, it's who's the best quarterback in Carolina. We're going to learn during the three preseason games. They're going to play a lot, I I believe. And we're going to really get reps and see meaningful stuff happen. All I look for in the preseason is where can you find meaningful things that are going on? Because a lot of it is backups and a lot of it is quarterbacks that don't care about playing. That's meaningful. Sam Darnold to Baker Mayfield. And I, oh man, again... Matt Corral ain't no slouch. Apparently, he's been doing well, too. So that is the battle in training camp that I just, oh, I can't get enough. I'm I'm excited. I I enjoy watching it. And I cannot wait to find out who the starting quarterback is going to be for the Carolina Panthers. Connor writes in. Connor says, hi, Zach. I wanted to get your thoughts around two quarterbacks seem to have quite contrasting narratives around them. Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert. So many people go crazy for Herbert. They rank him sometimes top five as a quarterback, even just outside. But Kyler has dropped outside the consensus top 10s. When you question why people don't rate Kyler, they say he hasn't won a playoff game, but Justin Herbert hasn't even made the playoffs. I understand that Justin Herbert is a freak athlete, but so is Kyler. I think his arm strength and accuracy is truly underrated. I'd also argue the Chargers have had a better roster than the Cardinals the past two years. So my question is, why do you think there's such a disparity? Is it simply because Herbert is your prototypical quarterback and Kyler is more unorthodox, question mark? Why do people embrace Justin Herbert more than Kyler Murray? A lot of reasons. First of all, Justin Herbert was an underdog. He was a sixth overall pick. Kyler was the number one overall pick. Kyler was expected to do well. Tua and Joe Burrow were picked ahead of Justin Herbert. So he surprised some people. But also, Kyler has made himself really unlikable. His contract demands, the way he handled the, the desire for a new contract, uh, the weird story about him not watching film and getting a, a homework clause in his contract, then lashing out at people after getting criticized for all that. So Kyler Murray has made himself unlikable to a lot of people, and, and that does matter. We pretend it doesn't, but likability really does matter psychologically with how you view people. Justin Herbert is a darling. There's nothing to not like about Justin Herbert. He's quiet. He's a good guy. He works hard. He's cool. Also, Justin Herbert is, in my opinion, more explosive and capable of more as a quarterback. Think about the future for where Justin Herbert could go compared to where Kyler Murray could go. Herbert could be a top three quarterback with Mahomes and Josh Allen. I'm sorry. Kyler Murray's never going to be a top three quarterback in the NFL. He's never going to be a guy people are legitimately arguing is the best quarterback in the league. He's going to always be overshadowed by other people who are better than him. And that, I don't love that, but that's honest and that's true. And so, um, yeah, man, I I just really, that's my answer to everything. But likability is a big one. Likeability matters and people, Kyler's given people a lot of reasons to not like him, unfortunately. All right. Um. Ian K. writes in, give me one second. All right, ENK writes in, says, Hey Zach, in the last episode you stated that Jimmy G is around the 32nd best quarterback in the league. I'm going to challenge you on this. Although Jimmy G isn't great, he isn't terrible either. Whenever he is healthy, the 49ers play incredibly well and have made two NFC title games when he plays. If anything, I would argue that Jimmy G's biggest problem is he is rarely healthy. But when he is otherwise a solid quarterback. So when he's healthy, he's otherwise a solid quarterback. Um, <laughs> I'm going to play a video if you're watching on YouTube. I have a video permanently saved on my screensaver called Why No One Wants Jimmy G. It's a terrible throw. It gets picked off. It's embarrassing. It's bad. I, I, I watch that daily, actually. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely biased because I got that in my head all the time. Uh, let's play a game. Jimmy G or blank. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have Jimmy Garoppolo or Sam Darnold? Sam Darnold, not very accomplished. Talented though. Why would I rather have Sam Darnold than Jimmy Garoppolo? Because Sam Darnold's younger. I know what Jimmy Garoppolo is. Plus he's been on a lot of good football teams. When's the last time Sam Darnold is on a team as good as Jimmy Garoppolo's had for most of his career? what would happen if Sam Darnold played on the really talented 49ers team that went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. You could argue Sam Darnold might have developed him a lot better than he is now. Plus, again, today, would I rather have Sam Darnold or Jimmy Garoppolo? Jimmy Garoppolo is 30 years old and mediocre. There's no potential there. Sam Darnold, I'd take Sam Darnold over Jimmy Garoppolo. Call me crazy, but it would. It's the same story with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's younger and actually more accomplished than Sam Darnold. He's won a playoff game. He's had some good times in the NFL. I take Baker Mayfield over Jimmy Garoppolo because he's young and there's potential. He's more likely to become the franchise quarterback I need where Jimmy Garoppolo is just, I'm going to have to replace him within a couple of years and he's never going to be satisfying to me. Baker Mayfield might be. Jalen Hurts can run, can do stuff. Jimmy Garoppolo can't. He doesn't get hurt. He's a great leader. I love him. He's young. I take Jalen Hurts over Jimmy Garoppolo. Tua. Hey, sorry, age matters. Tua, I, I think... Maybe he's as good as Jimmy Garoppolo now. He's boring and not very exciting, not physically gifted. But he can throw check downs and do what Jimmy Garoppolo has done in his career. I take Tua over Jimmy G because he's younger and has more potential. Same with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is so much more talented than Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not even funny. He can run. He can extend plays. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's coming for your mom. Sorry, I got to throw that out there. (laughs) Um, I take Zach Wilson over Jimmy Garoppolo any day. Justin Fields, same situation. A lot of potential. Talented, young. Take him over Jimmy Garoppolo. I would take Jimmy Garoppolo over Ryan Tannehill. He's younger. He's one more. I trust him more. I'd take take Jimmy Garoppolo over Ryan Tannehill for sure. Jameis Winston. Jimmy Garoppolo or Jameis Winston? I go back to, man, I want to coach Jameis Winston. The talent this man has. I think I could win with Jameis Winston, and I'm curious to see what he does this year. in New Orleans with a really good team around him. Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo are about the same. I think they're equally mediocre. But we'll see. I think Jared Goff, I'd rather have Jared Goff. He's younger. I think he's going to make a lot of noise this year with a lot of really good receivers in Detroit. I'd take Jared Goff over Jimmy Garoppolo. Davis Mills. Davis Mills is so underrated in Houston. He's accurate. He throws a good football. He doesn't throw a bad football. Jimmy Garoppolo throws a lot of bad throws that you're like, dude, what happened there? Did the ball just fall out of your hand? Davis Mills does not put the ball in harm's way in Houston. I would take Davis Mills over Jimmy Garoppolo. Plus, Davis Mills is younger, more likely to to develop into the franchise quarterback I would want. Mitchell Trubisky. I would take Jimmy Garoppolo over Mitchell Trubisky. I don't know why Pittsburgh is going with Trubisky and not Jimmy G. I really don't understand that. I, I would, Jimmy Garoppolo's a better quarterback. He's one more. He's more accurate. He's a better decision maker. I trust him more. Um, I, I would also probably take Jimmy Garoppolo over Drew Locke. However, I wouldn't because Drew Locke's younger. And if I'm Seattle, specifically right now, it behooves you to lose games. Jimmy Garoppolo, you go 6-11 ah, and 11 or 7-10. and 10 And are you really better off? No, you want to either have – you want to either have – Drew Locke, your young quarterback, become a really good quarterback and become your franchise quarterback. Or Drew Locke is terrible and you get an early first-round pick next year so you can draft a quarterback to replace him. A lot of Jimmy Garoppolo's problem is that he's a known quantity. He's 30. He's older. No future there. He's also mediocre. Like, is head-to-head, is Sam Darnold better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Probably not. But he could be eventually. Tua, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts. Like, a lot of these guys aren't better than Jimmy Garoppolo, but I would take them instead of Jimmy Garoppolo because they're young and there's potential there. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, ENK, you're right. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo isn't the 32nd best quarterback in the NFL. But would you take the guy who's the 23rd best quarterback in the NFL, who's a known quantity and getting older and has injury history, or Justin Fields, who's young and I think could become better? Potential matters. Age matters. And not a lot of potential for Jimmy Garoppolo, plus he's 30. That's why I, I probably undervalue Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I, I just don't think there's a lot of future there. And I, if I'm an NFL team, I'm thinking that way too. All right, Uriah writes in. Uriah says, hi, Zach. Some people think that building up your offensive and defensive line and having great coaching are keys to winning the Super Bowl. Do you think that line play on both sides of the ball is underrated by some people? Yeah, That's a yes-no question. Yes, offensive line and defensive line play have always been underrated in the NFL. They don't get enough glory. They don't get enough celebration. No one talks about them. Um, My philosophy for building a good team would be to build the offensive line and the defensive line and then get a quarterback. I wouldn't really want a quarterback if I had a bad offensive line. I'd want to build the O-line first, then get my franchise quarterback. I wouldn't want an Andrew Luck situation where you got a bad offensive line and a quarterback getting destroyed constantly. Um but that's a philosophy for building a good team. Getting to a Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl is different. To win a Super Bowl you need everything. Good offensive line, good defensive line, great skill players, good defense. Teams that are loaded with talent are what get to Super Bowls. I think of teams that even even teams that lost the Super Bowl um like the 06 Chicago Bears had an incredible roster. Shock full of a ton of talented players. They had one problem. Their quarterback was Rex Grossman. Um, the 49ers had a great team when they lost to Kansas City in the Super Bowl. They were loaded, though. Incredible defensive line. Really good skill players. Good running game. Good offensive line. Just talent everywhere. The problem was uh, their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, was a bit limited. and He had a shot, though. He had a, had a throw late in the game down the middle of the field that he missed. That, that would have been a touchdown and might have changed the entire game. But think of the last three teams that have won the Super Bowl, Kansas City, Tampa and Los Angeles. They all had amazing rosters, maybe the best team in the league and a superstar quarterback. So, like, does offensive and defensive line matter? Yeah, but it's a piece of the puzzle and they don't, they don't get enough glory. I agree, but you don't need just an offensive and defensive line with good coaching to win a Super Bowl. You need everything anymore to win a Super Bowl. All right, uh, Peyton writes in. Peyton says this. Um, let me... I thought my phone would open automatically. Hey, Zach. Peyton says, hey, Zach, I'm going to play devil's advocate for your, quote, why athletes take less money take. One reason is I think it's less of, quote, what money means to me and more, quote, what this money means to play or for players everywhere. For example, if if one top player takes half of what he deserves then that can hamstring negotiations for all other players. It's basically the opposite of the Kirk Cousins contract. One wide receiver gets more than he should. It raises the bar for all wide receivers across the board. It sets the market. I get this. Players know, or at least probably get told by the Players Association that if they take a large pay cut, it could affect money for lots of other players. And we know how rich the NFL and its owners are. They can afford to pay you the money. Also, you always say, what can $40 million buy me that $20 million can't? Think about the stuff you could get for your friends and family and community you grew up in with $40 million instead of 20 Lots of players come from rough situations and love giving back to those that help them achieve their dream. Again, just playing devil's advocate. I'm not sure where I land. I'd love to hear your thoughts. It, frankly, I, look, I... I uh, I just took a second job to pay my bills. I, I refuse to take gambling sponsorships. That would solve all my problems. Uh, but I, I refuse to take gambling sponsorships. I won't I won't take money from them. I'd rather work as a waiter, literally. Uh, so I have kind of different and weird values when it relates to money. It's hard for me, sitting in the back of my truck, as an employed waiter now, um, imagining getting offered 20 or $40 million. I... Any one of them would solve my problems forever, right? Um, I also know that quality of life matters a lot to me. I would not enjoy being on a losing or bad team. So I'd take $20 million to be in a good team rather than $40 million to be in a bad team. I get what you're saying. I understand all of it. Um, I, I just, man, I, I really... I just think quality of life matters. And for me, I just would hate to play on a team that was bad with a quarterback that was bad, that didn't have a shot to make the playoffs. I want to win. I enjoy winning. And $20 million or 40000000 million, I'm set for life either way. I'd want to be in a good situation where I'm getting my needs met and I'm, I'm winning lots of games and having good coaching and good people around me. I would hate to make $40 million uh, and be on a bad team with bad coaching and a bad environment when I could make $20 million and be on a great team competing for a super bowl. So I just, I just, I know my values are different though. And I I don't know that I just, I don't put money first really ever. I, I'm probably the worst person at managing money because I just, I put other people first. I put other values first. I put adventures first. Um, I spent a lot of money to care for people in my life. Actually. I really, I value that. I, I just, uh, I'm, not, I'm the wrong person to ask about this. And, and I just don't, um, again, I got different weird values when it comes to money. Okay, Tabor writes in. Tabor says, hey, Zach, I want to ask you more when you were a quarterback. About, I think it means about when you were a quarterback. You work on film analysis. Your work on film analysis is great and highly detailed. If you were to look back when you played uh, the quarterback position, how would you judge yourself? The stuff you did great down to the stuff you needed to work on. It would be cool to know more about your play and hear how a quarterback looks at their own play. Thanks, Zach. Stay safe, my guy. I needed to run more when I was a quarterback in high school and college. Um, I was a better athlete than I acted like. I'm still – dude, I, I kill it in, like, football right now, like, you know, flag football and ultimate frisbee and basketball. Like, I, I'm, I'm a good athlete, dude, and I, I really undersold that side of myself when I was in high school. I viewed myself as a pocket passer, which which was to my detriment. I limited myself. I'm like, ah, I'm like Tom Brady. I don't run, and I should have ran. I should have extended plays. I should have ran the ball. I should have—I got to—in fact, my senior year, I, in the first game of the year, I, I had a pull where I, I juked. I spun a guy out. I, I did a spin move. He missed me, and I ran for, like, 40 yards. That was awesome. And then, like, later in the game on the goal line, I fumbled. We We got the fumble, but it was really—I got— screamed at by my, my quarterback coach. And it really hurt my feelings. And I, I didn't run very much after that because he, he made me scared to run. So I should have ran more. Um, and I, I should have taken more risks downfield. That was very accurate, but I was too safe. That also stems from fear. I got in trouble with, uh, you know, Trent Dilfer at a quarterback camp told me, Hey, we need a guy who's going to throw the deep comeback. And I should have challenged him. I've told the story before. I should have, I should have said, Hey, I can make that throw and done it. But that got in my head, and I didn't throw deep enough. I didn't take enough chances downfield. So should have ran more, and I should have take sh- taken more shots downfield. I also threw the ball too much over the top. Watching the way quarterbacks are throwing the ball now, um, you're seeing more and more of a sidearm slot, which is actually better for your shoulder. I would encourage everyone to throw the ball more sidearm. Watch how Aaron Rodgers throws the football. It's more to the side than it is above his head, uh, you know, straight up above his head. And I, I, I should have done that more. Um... Also, here's a lesson I learned. There's a funny video of Joe Burrow skipping conditioning, riding around in a golf cart. Every year when conditioning came in high school football and college football, I worked really hard during conditioning. And I lost my legs. I throw mostly with my legs throwing the football. My legs really matter. If my legs have energy and aren't tired, I throw the ball really well. I made my life harder by going really hard in conditioning and competing and trying to beat linebackers and stuff because in college the starter didn't have to condition i was the backup um and i'm so jealous he would sit there and watch us and it kind of smugly i hated him so much um he lied to the coaches and said he had an injury so he got to save his legs meanwhile my legs were jello by like day three of training camp because i was running all the time constantly and conditioning and my legs if i'd i think if i'd saved my legs uh i would have done a lot better too because as the when you lose your legs it takes a while to recover and you don't have time during the season to recover your your legs when they, they get worn out and uh that definitely affected my play. All right. I think that's all the, the write-ins from Patreon. Um, let's see. Yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, I want to give you a warning. The rest of the show is about Formula One. And if you don't like Formula One, that's okay. Have a great day. I love you. I really appreciate you. I, I'm very grateful to the people that listen to this show. Um, but if you don't like Formula One... We're going to talk about Formula 1 now. Let's do it. Um, There's a crazy story in Formula 1. Alpine lost their driver, Fernando Alonso. He said he was going to Aston Martin. That caught them off guard. Although it makes sense because apparently they weren't willing to commit to Fernando Alonso for more than one year at a time. He wanted a longer commitment. They didn't like that. And so uh, Fernando Alonso left Alpine Alpine to go to Aston Martin because they were willing to give him a multi-year commitment. And Alpine was like, hey, we lose Fernando Alonso, it's fine, because we got Oscar Piastri as a driver for 2023, or so they thought. Alpine came out, and I hope I'm saying Piastri, right? Oscar Piastri, Oscar Piastri. Alpine came out and said Oscar Piastri would drive for them next year in 2023. Then very quickly, Oscar Piastri responded, like, literally within the hour, with a statement saying this. He put this on Twitter. Oscar Piastri said, I understand that without my agreement, Alpine F1 have put out a press release late this afternoon that I am driving for them this next year. This is wrong, and I have not signed a contract with Alpine for 2023. I will not be driving for Alpine next year. And honestly, when I read this, I was like, oh my goodness, that's insane. Frankly, it's kind of a ballsy thing to do to publicly... To so publicly slam the door on an F1 team? I'm like, he must have something else lined up. Because if he doesn't have another job lined up, then Oscar Piastri is the biggest idiot I've ever heard of. Because you just badly burned a bridge with Alpine F1. And in my opinion, that statement came out of fear. When he, when he said so quickly, I'm not driving for Alpine. No way, I'm not doing it. He was afraid he would lose out on a better opportunity. Here is that opportunity. Apparently, Oscar Piastri is going to McLaren. Now, is McLaren a better opportunity than Alpine? He must think so. Uh, Currently, Alpine is ahead of McLaren in the standings. We'll find out there. Uh, But McLaren told Daniel Ricciardo that he's out for next year. And he's going to be replaced by Oscar Piastri. So Daniel Ricciardo is out at McLaren. He's been um, underwhelming for too long. And they're replacing him. Now, I want to ask you. What do I not know about Alpine that everyone else seems to know? Fernando Alonso left. Uh, I I think he wanted a multi-year commitment more than he cared about winning, I guess. But why does Oscar Piastri prefer McLaren to Alpine? Like I said, I think Alpine's got a better car right now than McLaren. Fernando Alonso bailed on them. Oscar Piastri bailed on them. What's up with Alpine F1 that I don't... Is there something I'm missing here? Is there something toxic or terrible under in the little underbelly of the F1 team that I'm not realizing because I, I don't really get why, unless he, I, I just, I don't, I don't know what it, what the hurry was for him to go to McLaren instead of Alpine. I would think actually an Alpine, he would have been their number one driver. Whereas McLaren has Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri. And I just, I don't really get it. I, some, some reason he chose McLaren over Alpine. I don't know it yet. When I find out, I'll tell you. The next part of the story that's interesting though, is where will Daniel Ricciardo go? Danny Rick at Alpine sounds chaotic and fun to go to his team's rival and replace the guy replacing him, I I guess, in a weird way. Is Daniel Ricciardo a good driver, though? I don't know. I think think actually Daniel Ricciardo is struggling with an identity crisis. He was the number one guy at Red Bull. Then he went to Renault. They weren't very good. And Renault, technically, he'd be going back to Renault because Renault was at Alpine. So I don't know, but I... Daniel Ricciardo's likable and, and not that great of a driver recently. <laughs> he, although he did have a good move the other the other day where uh, in Hungary he passed both Alpines in one move, Fernando Alonso and... uh um, oh, what's the guy's name? Why am I blanking on his name? The The French driver from Alpine, uh, Esteban Alcon. He passed both Alpines in one move. So there's some talent with Daniel Ricciardo. I think the car isn't very good with McLaren. But I just... I don't know, man. I, I want to see Daniel Ricciardo win, and I, I'm feeling more and more confident that him winning in the past with Red Bull was having a great car that was better than everybody else's, less than it was him being a great driver, because it's been a while since we saw great driving from Daniel Ricciardo. But again, I think Sebastian Vettel might be better. I, I don't know what's going on. Daniel Ricciardo, I, I'm very fascinated with, and I hope he goes to Alpine, because that sounds like I said chaotic, interesting, and fun. All right. Let's talk about Ferrari to end the show. We got two write-ins about Ferrari. Uh, David wrote in first. David says, "Hey Zach, in the last episode you talked about how Ferrari's strategy in the Hungarian Grand Prix hurt them, namely the choice to go on hard tires. It seems like time and time again Ferrari keeps shooting themselves in the foot with poor race strategy and an unreliable engine. In Spain and Azerbaijan, Charles Leclerc looked to have a shot, looked like he had a shot to win, but engine failures caused him to DNF." In Monaco, despite qualifying first and second, they allowed Red Bull to pass them while they were in the pits, and they eventually finished second and fourth. In Canada, Great Britain and Hungary, poor tire strategy caused Ferrari to finish lower than they could have. Earlier in the year, I wrote into the show predicting that Leclerc and Ferrari would win both world titles, but at this point in the year, it looks like Verstappen and Red Bull are going to run away with it. Max currently leads the driver's standings by 80 points, meaning... He could DNF in the next three races and still be leading Charles Leclerc. My question is, do you think Ferrari's poor strategy has lost them in the championship? Or do you think that they would still be in second place if they didn't have these issues? Hope truck life is treating you well. David. That's David. Andrew wrote in. Andrew said, hey, Zach, hope you're doing well and enjoy the truck life. I wanted to get your opinion on Mattia Bonato. He gets a lot of fair scrutiny, and I really thought he was turning in the corner. But I really think it's nothing short of incompetent and a terrible leader which you can't have as an F1 team principal, still hope to see you when you come through Kansas City. Mattia Bonotto is, is, in my opinion, the problem in Ferrari because he's, they're poorly run, Ferrari is. Bad tire strategy, as David said, Andrew's pointing out all this other stuff. It's hard not to feel that way when you watch Ferrari. They're, they're just, they're poorly run. And I think you got to start at the top. That's the guy to keep accountable as a team principal, setting the standard. And... I wonder, is it too much pressure for him? Is he getting stressed out and tensing up and then creating a toxic work environment where no one feels safe to make mistakes or ask questions and there's all this pressure mounting? I think that's what's going on. But I also wonder, are they just maybe bad at details? Like, but I think I, I cannot imagine that Mattia Bonozzo is going to keep his job after this year with Ferrari. The amount of blunders and mistakes that have been made are are just... Painful, but I also don't know that it's entirely Mattia Binotto' problem. It's I think Ferrari is kind of pompous, kind of full of themselves, and they they're like the Dallas Cowboys of Formula One. The Dallas Cowboys in the NFL think they're hot. Think they think they're they're think they're um, I don't want to cuss here, so I'm trying to figure out how to word this in differently. They think they're above everybody else because of their branding. Ferrari is a great brand. But they're not good at details, and I think a lot of the baggage that comes with being Ferrari actually holds them back. On top of their poorly run and have kind of a toxic work environment. So um, Ferrari's a mess, and I don't, I'm not impressed with them at all. And so, David Andrew, thanks for writing in about Ferrari, guys. That's all I have. Thanks for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day, and uh, I'll see you next time. But um bum bam, we are done.